We're starting a new series today, and it's it's a series that I'm sure that with a few um, interjections of other standalone messages throughout the year, I'm sure that there will be things that come. We're open to the Spirit's leading, but it looks like we're probably going to be with this uh, series till the end of 2011. It's a long one for us, and we're going to be preaching on the Sermon on the Mount, um, which you'll find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5 to 7. And um, today what I'm going to be doing is helping you understand the sermon itself in a broad sense, just so you uh, get, uh, get to grips with kind of how to approach it, how to understand it, and then hopefully if we get enough time we'll dig into maybe the first sentence of it. Um, and, um, but it's very intense, very, very tightly packed. It's probably, it probably it includes some of the best-known Bible quotes around, uh, the kind of phrases that people quote regardless of whether they believe or not. You know, um, how often has someone who doesn't believe at all said to you, don't judge me? Well, they've got that from here. Uh, <laughs> uh, out of context, but nevertheless, Jesus says, do not judge. Um, turn the other cheek. It's, uh, you'll find that in here. Um, the, whole, the, the Lord's Prayer, you'll find that in here. Um, sort of the earth, light of the world. Those kinds of phrases and fi- figurative imagery come from this message here. It is probably the most quoted of Jesus' teaching, the most quoted of Christian teaching, and we are going to have the privilege over these coming months to dig into it and um, mine around in it and hopefully find some treasures that will bring new life to those of you maybe who you don't know new life yet. Maybe you're here today and you're here, you're at church, but you don't know the Lord. You don't know new life. You don't know what it is to be born again. It's something that you might have heard of, maybe positively, maybe negatively, but you have not known it. Well, there's so much treasure in here. Every message in this series will lend itself towards being born again coming to know Christ for the first time. But I want to say to those of us that are believers that this really is um, the blueprint of what the Christian life should look like. And it is inspiring, devastating, challenging, provoking, penetrating. We are in for a serious time together (laughs) through this series. Uh, and really, all you've got to really do is read it. I don't even have to preach. I can just read it through every week. And then we can all just gather around the bread and wine and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then cry out to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because um, I want to help you understand the thing as a whole. People tend, to, people tend to get this sermon wrong in one of two ways. The first way they get it wrong is this way. It's, it's like they read things like when someone slaps you, turn the other cheek, right? And they find it inspiring, which I get. But have you ever tried doing that? It's an inspiring idea. Give me some background music, chariots of fire, and someone in slow motion slapping me, and then me going. It's inspiring, yeah? It's like, oh, look, turning the other cheek. But try walking down Camden High Street and getting slapped. It's not very inspiring. Okay? It really isn't. And it does, that stuff does happen. At my last church, I remember once the doorbell went, I went downstairs, I saw a shady looking guy outside, I probably should never have pressed the button to open the door. I opened the door, he forced himself in, 
and started coming at me and whacked me around the face. I was quite surprised. What do you do in a moment like that? I didn't know what to do, to be honest with you. And so I just started stepping back, and he's coming towards me, and I'm stepping back, and I'm realizing upstairs there's just two ladies that work at the church. That's all that's up there. And this guy, I think, was a crack addict. So he's coming at me, coming at me, coming at me. And in the end, rather than going, I went, (laughs) and he went, oh, yeah, you want some? And I said, I really don't want some. (laughs) I said, but I want to say something like, but there's just, you know, and I said, no, I said, I said, I said, I really don't want some. I said, and, and you know what? He said, I said, for what you did, I forgive you. Like that. And he went, you what? And his eyes filled with tears. And he took my hand and walked out. I thought it was amazing. So it wasn't quite turning the other cheek, but it wasn't bad. <laughs> but you think, what do you do in those moments? What do you really do in those moments? Because you never know till they, till they come across, till they come along. In fact, there's the story of the guy, uh, the Anabaptist, um, um, Anabaptists were people around the time of the Reformation and the 1500s, and Anna means second, and they were called Anabaptists because they, they preached that you should, should be baptized as a believer. And as a result, they were terribly persecuted even by the reformers. And one was in prison, and he managed to escape one night, and he was running along, escaping, running along a, uh, a frozen lake. And um, the prison guard that was chasing him uh, fell into the lake and the guy instinctively turned around and saw it instinctively went back and rescued the man and then as a result of rescuing him the rest of the guards caught up captured the man took him back to prison and he was executed but here's the question what makes a person turn around in that moment it seems that what it is from reading the book but reading about it i found it very provoking it was habit that a pattern had been built up in life, in that man's life, to the point where when the big moment happens, it's just what you do. And so it's incredibly provoking as we gather to a sermon like this. I mean, that's just one point. I'm not, I'm, we're not even preaching on turning the other cheek this week, and we're already all devastated. <laughs> so I trust that God's going to deal with us in a gracious and yet powerful way throughout this series. But the first way people get it wrong is what they do, they read it and they say, isn't this amazing? Let's do it. Let's, ju- let's do this. Let's copy Jesus. And I just think it's naive and unhelpful. Because, you know, if you know yourself, then you'll know that naturally you'd never do that. If you really understand yourself, you, you're not going to turn the other cheek. Or someone says to you, someone forces you to walk a mile carrying their stuff for them. And you say, do you know what? I want to do two miles. I'm sorry, but you're not going to do that. You're not, I mean, even if you volunteered to kind of help you with your stuff, and you took it to where they were going, and they said, actually, do you know what? It's a little bit further. You'd probably get the ump. Because <laughs> you're busy. Like Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hurry up. I knew, a, I knew you'd become a Londoner at that point, Gemma. I knew we'd got Sussex out of your system. Come on. See, the liberal approach, the liberal Christians, they just say, this is an inspiring thing. Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, follow me, copy me. And you, when people say that, I think to myself, do you know yourself? Are you living in a dream world? Love your enemies. 
Love, your, pray for those who persecute you. What? You can just do that. In fact, how I know that interpretation is wrong is by the first line in the sermon. Because the first line in the sermon, the one we're going to dig into in a moment, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the p- being poor in spirit is the opposite from reading this and saying, I can do it. Being poor in spirit is reading this sermon and saying, flip, I am in trouble. I, am, I really wish I hadn't come across this. Because if this is what God is after, I am in big trouble. Because I don't do this. I don't do this stuff. I do judge others. I do worry. I do seek after temporary things. I do get excited about laptops. I do speak rashly and say I'm going to do stuff that I don't do. I do get angry. I get angry quite easily. And so it's the wrong interpretation. It's wrong. This isn't God saying, I expect you to do this, now do this. But at the other extreme, there's another wrong interpretation, and it's what what you might call the hyper-Calvinists, the way they interpret it. They read all this stuff and they say, don't worry about this sermon. Jesus, through this, is basically just saying, you can't do this, but don't worry. I'm going to do it for you. So you haven't got to worry about it anymore. I've done it. That is, uh, there is truth in that, but it's incomplete. And it's error. How do I know? Here's how I know. Listen to one of the last sentences in the sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a man, a wise man, who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So you read the sermon and say, I'm not going to do that. Why? Jesus has done it for me. You're being a foolish man who built his house on the sand. It's the wrong interpretation. So how do you manage? How do you handle this sermon? How does it work? Here's how it works. Let's go to Matthew 5. Verse 1. Because verse 1 helps us to make sense of it. Helps us to understand. Helps us, ah, okay, right. (coughs) Seeing the crowds, Jesus, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. What other Christian leader, not Christian, sorry, what other biblical leader went up on a mountain and then taught some people? Moses. This is deliberate. If you read back to Exodus, you'll find that what happened was Moses led God's people out of Egypt, then into the wilderness, and then he was up on the mountain of Mount Sinai where God's presence was uh, powerfully manifested, and he went up there and then spent time with God and then came down, didn't he, with the Ten Commandments, written on stone. Remember, he came down and he had God's instructions for God's people. This is how you are to live. This is the perfect law of God. As you follow this law, you will be um, a light to the nations. All the nations will look at you and say, wow, the way you live is incredible. Your God must be amazing. Can we follow him too? That was the plan. What Jesus is doing is saying, it's a bit like that moment. And what he does is he goes up on this mountain 
And then his disciples come to him, it says. Now the disciples, we've got to remember, are at this stage are the 12 that he has called out from the Jewish nation. He's called out his 12. And who are these 12? They are the nucleus of the new community. They are the nucleus of God's new people, the church. And, and Jesus, the, the head of that community, the head of the church, he teaches them, he's saying, this is the blueprint of the life of God's new community. It's, 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 it's an epoch-making moment. In the same sense that at Mount Sinai, that new old covenant was introduced in that sense, it's the beginning of the introduction of the, of the new covenant, God's new way of dealing with people through Christ. Culminates at the cross and the resurrection, but this is the lifestyle that will be demonstrated in that new community. So how, how does this differ from those two wrong ways of looking at it? Well, on the liberal side, which says just do it, it says no, 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 you can't just do it. You must come to the end of yourself, and that's what these things called the Beatitudes are. Blessed are those, blessed are those, which we will look at. They describe the condition, they describe conversion. This is what it means to be converted. This is what it means to find new life in God. These are the things. We're going to look at the first one today and on the following weeks the other ones. But this is conversion. And then the rest of the sermon is the outworking of that conversion. The converted life looks like that. Now what is the converted life? It's a miraculous thing. It's a shockingly miraculous thing. It's not something that you work up, that you generate, where you turn over new leaves and try and be a good guy. That's not new life. Biblically, new life is where you come to the end of yourself and God in his mercy makes you brand new. Where you come to the end of your own efforts at trying to be righteous, trying to be godly, trying to kind of show that, you, you know, you can do this. You realise that you can't and in your mercy you cry out to God. You recognise, I need rescuing. I need a saviour. And God loves that kind of a cry, which we'll look at. Later. And what God does is he gives the Holy Spirit to indwell you. And he gives you a brand new nature. And he, he brings to an, e to an end, to a death, the old sinful nature. is crucified with Christ. And then through baptism you're buried with him and raised into newness of life. And as a brand new creature, power is given to you to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus's. Sermon on the Mount. So this Sermon on the Mount is the truly Christian life lived. It's not for those who aren't really Christians, but want to try and act Christian. Those who don't have the Spirit. Those who haven't been born again. Those who haven't come to the end of themselves. Those who think Christianity is helping people across the road. and that, that it's, not, it's, not, that it's not for those people. They're not, that is not Christian. That's just ethical. It's just moralistic. It's not Christian. But neither is it saying, you know all this stuff about turning the other cheek. and all that. Do you know what? Don't worry about it. Jesus did all of that. So we can just get on punching people and being angry and just treading all over it and acting like the rest of the world. Because guess what? We're righteous in Christ. Does that sound like it lacks integrity in some way? Is, isn't that the very thing that actually has turned a lot of people away from Jesus? People who have said, it's fine, I'm righteous in Christ, I can do what I like. You think, something's not working out here. This sermon is to be interpreted like this. Be converted. Come to the end of yourself. Cry out for mercy. There it is. Fall on Jesus. Fall on him as your only hope and all that you trust in. And let him make you brand new. And then go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in him and cry out to him and recognize the life he's calling you into is totally beyond anything you could do naturally. And learn how to live a life that is surprising, to say the least. That's how we're going to interpret this sermon. Um, and um, I'm, I'm frightened about the next few months, but in a good way. I think it's a good kind of trembling. You know, the Bible, God says actually in the Bible, in Isaiah 66, that he, though he dwells in a high and lofty place, he does draw near to those who are lowly, contrite, and tremble at his word. And it's a good trembling. You think, man, but let's let God help us in that and walk us through that and shepherd us through that. Amen? All right, let's look at the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're very, very surprising, these Beatitudes. They're very shockingly surprising. Everyone should make you go, what? That's the wrong way round. Surely blessed are those who are kind of rich in spirit. What do you mean blessed are the poor in spirit? What does blessed mean? It means that you're filled with like the uh, life riches, life happiness from God. Does that sound appealing? Of course it does. To be genuinely blessed means that you are walking under the favour of God. You are walking under the smile of God on your life. There's an open heaven above you. You pray and the prayer gets answered. You're just walking with him. You become a friend of God. There's an intimacy. There's an ease in the presence of God. You've learned how to walk with God. Blessed. So, so when Jesus says blessed, you want to listen up. What's coming next? Because there's a key there. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what is this? Well, it sometimes helps to look at what the opposite of it is. And if we go to uh, the book of Revelation, there's uh, a church that Jesus spoke to there, and they'd fallen into the opposite problem of this. They weren't poor in spirit at all. And it's a church in a place called Laodicea. And listen to what Jesus says to them. It's very, uh, very sobering. Um, Jesus says, well, first of all, he says, I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you was either hot, cold or hot. Because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Yeah. Listen to him. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And in case you're thinking Jesus is being just plain old harsh there, he then says, those whom I love are reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Here's a church that have somehow on the way, they've so lost it, they've so lost the gospel that they've got into this thing of just being puffed up. They're like, oh yeah, we're the ones, you know, we're the ones who are doing this and we're doing that and you should see this about us and that about us. And if there's something that's happened in their spirit whereby they kind of look upon themselves as if somehow they've kind of made it, as if somehow they've got it, as if they've arrived in some way. There's this sense of we are rich and if you've got to that point, you've become poor. Not in the good sense, in the bad sense. You are poverty stricken. You are in that sense, you're, the sense of you being rich in spirit, you thinking you've made it, means you've got nothing. It's the opposite of what Jesus is looking for. There's a parable in Luke where Jesus says, two men went to pray. One was a Pharisee and he prayed like this, Lord, thank you, I'm not like everybody else. Straight away you want to keep your distance, don't you? You think, oh, 
Two steps back, lightning bolt, safety zone. Okay. Yeah, and someone prays like that. Or if you think like that when you're praying, thank you, Lord, I'm not like the others. I, 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 I pray and fast twice a week, and I give, I give my tithe. There's another guy, a publican, and he's praying, and apparently he's doing this, Jesus says. He's beating his chest, saying, won't even look up. Woe is me, a sinner. Jesus said, which one of those two do you think went away justified? Justified means right before God. Who's that guy? This guy's fasting, this guy's praying, this guy's tithing, but he's oh so very aware of it. This guy's aware of something else. He's aware of the fact that before a holy God, he's corrupt. He's, he reads a sermon on the mountain, he goes, mercy on us. Sinner. He's understood himself. It's not that he's some kind of hero. He's just understood himself. He's not deceived. He's not deceived. And we live in a very proud, self-exalting world and culture where we're encouraged to exalt ourselves and paint ourselves in a good light and all of that. It's the thing to do. And yet Jesus says, which one went just, which one, which one drew the attention of God? This guy. Not because he's going through the motions of beating his chest, but because in his heart he's realised, if it's down to me to get right before God by my own efforts, I'm done for. I'm just done for. And the result was he went out right with God. What is that? I'll tell you what it is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the realm of God. It's the realm where Jesus rules. And it's made up of a certain kind of people. And they know how to do this. Whether they actually do that or not. I was talking with a friend of mine recently. I admire him greatly. And uh, it was just a moment. In passing conversation, he said something and I thought, oh, and here's a guy who, he, um, th they lost their first child um, on the day he was born. And then uh, it was very difficult, as you can imagine. And they were living somewhere in a certain area because God had told them to go there prophetically. They went there, they got pregnant, and they lost their first child, and they carried on living there. And they, they were in a two-bedroom flat, and... Um, and they were bidding, they were in social housing, so they kept bidding for new, kept bidding for new, new homes. As you do on the social housing system, you have to bid it for point system. And uh, they had another child, then another one, then another one, then eight, I can't keep track. I think they had about four or five in this two-bedroom flat in, in East London, because they wanted a big family full of love, and they just thought they'd get a house. Every time they bid it, they didn't get it. And in the end, the, 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 the council shut down their block so they're asking everyone to leave. In the end, they're the only ones there in this two-bedroom flat in East London. And drug users are using, obviously, the, the block and stuff downstairs. They have to walk past all of that to get to their place. He's trying to do a degree, study, so he can get a good job and support his family. And uh, about a year or so ago, God just broke the whole thing wide open. And nine out of the ten things I've been praying for in the house, God just provided for them miraculously. It's an incredible five-bedroom place. But I was... He was showing me his new house, and I was talking with him, and he spoke about that season, and his words were this. He said, there was a lot of 
holding of the holding of my head in my hands during that season. And it was one of those moments where something just escapes and you realize, wow. Through those trials, God just broke the man, really. And when you speak with him now, there's such an aroma of Christ about what he says and does. You think, what is that? Poverty of spirit. He knows that in and of himself, but in Christ. When you're there, you can discover the riches of Christ. Because if you come with your hands so you come to Jesus with your hands so full of this, that, and the other, plans, dreams, assessments of yourself, this, that you've got you've got no room for anything. If you come empty empty handed, the promise is this blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we are as a church. Where's God going to take us in the next few years? I don't know. I don't know what he's got. There's many promises and prophecies and there's great little clues and hints, but it's a treasure hunt. You know how it works with God, one step at a time. But here's what I do know. If we can be a community of people that somehow possess the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. Because what we might lack in this, that or the other, we will not lack in heaven's resources. Our prayers will be answered. We'll walk under an open heaven. The sick will be healed. The lost will be found. Who knows, maybe the dead will be raised. The tormented will find wholeness and peace in Christ. And I don't think there's anything that can compare with that, is there? And let God, in his wisdom, take this or take that. But if it, leads us, if it leads us to the place where we're increasingly poor in spirit and saying, God, we just need you, then something wonderful is happening among us. And it's countercultural, and it's against the flow of how things work naturally. But that's the point. It doesn't say, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of the earth. Theirs is the world. What does it say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those people have become citizens of a different realm. They're under a different government. They're under a different king. They live by different rules, different values, different ideals. And the world can't understand them, but increasingly realizes they've got something. They've got something. That's where I want to go. That's where I want us to go. And it's not about just getting rid of stuff and throwing your laptop out the window. That is superficial, okay? It's not about anything of the sort like that. It's about letting God deal with us, show us ourselves, bring us to our knees so that we really live out of the cross, so that we really live out of Christ and out of the gospel. And so that, the, so that when we talk about the cross and Christ, it's not superficial and without impact, but it comes from the depth of who we are. It comes with a depth to it and people are impacted and moved by it. Why? Chiefly because it's real to us. That's the point. It's authentic in our lives that we live out of the cross and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the path we walk is death to all things that kill and life to all things that bring life. And we cling to Christ and we love one another. And we are those who increasingly have burning hearts. Hearts set aflame by the Holy Spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Over the coming weeks, you're going to learn how on earth it could be that those who mourn 
are blessed. To those who are meek are blessed. To those who are merciful are blessed. To those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed. To those who are pure in heart are blessed. To those who make peace are blessed. And that those who are insulted and persecuted and hated on account of Jesus are blessed. This is extraordinary. This is a different flavor from anything you're going to hear anywhere else. This is the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. And it is miraculous. May God give us grace as we look at this sermon. That we would get from it all that he has. Can we pray that he'll do that? And then we'll gather around the bread and the wine and wonder at his glory. As we're just standing in God's presence today, I feel like slightly burdened that I want to I just quickly address those of you here that don't know this poverty of spirit. In fact, the whole, it's just a foreign thing to you. That you're living by the rules of self-sufficiency. You're living, by, you're living by the rule of the world, really. Make it happen. You're the captain of your own destiny. I want to call on you today. I want to call on you to, by God's grace, wake up. And I say it tenderly, and I say it, I'm not saying it horribly, I say it tenderly. Wake up. There is something so much bigger going on. There is something so much more glorious that God is wanting to do. He's wanting us to see ourselves so that we can see Christ. He's wanting us to see Christ so that we can see ourselves. He's wanting to wean us away from the poverty that we embrace when we try and be rich in and of ourselves. And onto a beautiful poverty of spirit that leads us to the riches of heaven. And I'll just say the Bible says that God is calling all people everywhere to turn to him. And I want to just express the invitation of God to you today. Jesus says, I will not turn away anyone who comes to me. If you're willing to come to Christ today, if you're willing to come just as you are, just as you are, and say, I need saving, I need rescuing, I need forgiving. Then as we take the bread and the wine during these next few songs, why don't you come down, take the bread, take the wine, and say, Jesus, I'm falling on you. I'm looking to you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust that you have done all that needs to be done for my forgiveness and my new life. I want to urge you to do that. And those of you that I know well and that are part of the church here and that are born again, I want to just say, let's discover the riches of Christ again. Father, Father, here we are, and we say we want to know you. We long to know the Lord Jesus Christ, intimately, passionately, in a way that just, we just, we know. We, he, Father, he said he came to bring life in all its fullness. We long for that. We long to know, we long that Christ be fully formed in us. We long for that. We long for that. Father, we do. It's our deepest cry. When we got born again, you put that as our deepest desire in our heart, to know you. And we just say, Father, here we are. 
I pray have mercy on us as a church. Have mercy on us, Lord. I pray, oh God, that we would be uh, helped by your spirit in ways that are beyond anything we could dream. I pray, Lord, that you would see that we want to follow you, Lord, and we want to know you closely, but we feel various different things, feel elements of intimidation, elements of fear, what will it be like, elements of just, God, you know, there's, there's areas of me that I know it shouldn't be like it, but I find it hard to even stop and give that up. Lord, we bring ourselves before you, and we thank you for the victory of the cross. We thank you at the cross, sin, idolatry, and darkness was overcome and beaten. And we thank you that in Christ there is victory over these things. And we say, Lord, we come confident in your victory today. We come confident, Lord, in order that you have accomplished for us. We thank you. We died with Christ. We thank you that through baptism we were buried with him and raised into newness of life. We thank you the old has gone and the new has come. And we pray, Father, that as we take the bread and the wine today, that life from the Spirit would flood us again. We pray the life of the Lord Jesus Christ would flood us freshly. So God, have your way with us in the rest of our time together. Draw our hearts to you and draw our hearts to one another, I pray. For his incredible fame and glory and for our joy. Amen. Amen. If the band could come, we're going to... We're going to sing and celebrate. Maybe um, um, we're going to bring the table over a bit closer so we can take the bread and wine. I want to ask us to do that in community. It's part of our fellowship together that we take the bread and the wine. So why don't you grab someone you know and say, hey, let's take bread and wine and pray with them and thank the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. It's going to be a holy melee until we're finished now of just singing breaking bread and drinking the wine and praying with one another, blessing each other. Let the spiritual gifts flow. So if you're praying with someone and be open to God to just prophesy and encourage someone, please also just be open for the Holy Spirit to bring gifts, messages in other languages and interpretations, uh, healings, words of knowledge, prophecies, and just come and share those things from the mic. You can just come up if you're a part of the church here. Please just feel free to do that. If you're a guest, you can come and just check it with me or Simon first, but if you're part of the church, please, the freedom is there, just come and bring that, um, because we want it. let's make it count, hey, let's have a time in God, a time with the Holy Spirit, so why don't we stand to our feet, and um, like I said earlier, if you want to use this space, it's out here, and it's, 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 it's for our use, praise God. Mm.